Devotion for the Dying Mary's Call to Her Loving Children by Venerable Mother Mary Potter Continuing Chapter 4 Think of the anxiety of an ordinary good mother at the hour of her child's death. What would not a mother do to procure ease of body and soul for her child in its final agony, though she sees but dimly the awful risk it is running at that momentous hour? Then what would not Mary do? Oh, you who love Mary, help her. Do the work she would have you do. Take her place at her children's deathbed, and greatly will she reward you. Can you think of any work that would better please her? Her devoted servant, St. Alphonsus, tells us that there is no greater act of charity than to assist the dying. Those who can should be present in person. A person in the grace of God has God with him in a way that few but the saints realize. The dear martyr, St. Ignatius of Antioch, called himself Theophorus, that is, one who carries God with him. And Christophory, or the bearers of Christ, was a name commonly given to Christians in the early church. Therefore, a good person, by his presence and prayers, has great power in defending the dying from the attacks of the enemy. It is incalculable, and should make all who desire to help in this good work of saving souls at their last hour be most careful to keep themselves in the grace of God. If those who commit mortal sin and remain in it without going as they should, as soon as possible to confession, knew the harm they do in the world, they would surely have remorse. Know this, you who are often out of the grace of God, that as in the case of those who are in the state of grace, God's Spirit dwells with them. So too those without the grace of God, those in mortal sin, carry an evil spirit about with them and their very presence brings evil, does mischief to others. There are some people, likewise, who strive to keep from mortal sin, and who are anxious about their own soul, and the souls of their children or those under their care. And yet, if unhappily they fall into mortal sin, will remain for weeks in that state, and are not in the slightest hurry to go to confession. It is strange that anyone who has faith can sleep night after night at enmity with God, and not rather take the first opportunity of being reconciled to Him. I well remember hearing the case of a priest being surprised one night, after his duties of the day were over, by a boy coming and earnestly requesting to have his confession heard, and stating by way of explanation for his coming at such an unwanted hour, that having committed a mortal sin, he had gone to bed as usual, but the thought of what he had once heard kept coming to his mind, that you should never go to sleep in mortal sin. At last, not being able to sleep, yielding to an impulse of grace, he had gotten up and come to the priest, hoping that he would hear him, though it was so late. The priest, of course, complied, spoke kindly to him, heard his confession, and having blessed him, dismissed him. The boy returned home and was found the next morning dead in his bed. I was, as you may suppose, much struck with the account. We see from it not only the danger of sleeping in mortal sin, but the danger also which we incur when we neglect an inspiration of grace.
if the boy had not yielded to the good impulse and put himself to some trouble to obey it, what in all probability would have been the fate of his soul? You who so constantly neglect the warning voice of God should fear lest he withdraw and cease even to reproach you. It is not so light a matter as you think to turn a deaf ear to the gentle whisper of God's Holy Spirit. We generally do not think of this eloquent pleading of the third person of the Blessed Trinity, of his continual entreaty with the souls of men, and the continual affronts or cold neglect he receives in return from them. Those who devote themselves to the work of saving souls should earnestly strive to increase their love for the Holy Ghost, remembering that it is his whisper to the soul of the sinner that produces the efficacious act of perfect contrition that cleanses that soul from sins, however great it may have committed, even before the sacrament of penance has been received, and constrains the three persons of the Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, whose voice produced the marvelous change, to take up their abode with exceeding love in that now most beautiful soul. It is that same Holy Spirit whom I would have you invoke by your presence and prayers at the bed of death. But you will say to me, I am too unworthy to do such good. And it is true. But turn to Mary. Ask her to be with you. Hide your own unworthiness under cover of her beautiful dispositions, and then plead as Mary pleads. By what does Mary plead in order to touch the Spirit of God? By the precious blood shed upon the cross for that soul whom you are now watching in its death agony. Unite yourself to this sweet mother's heart, breaking at the foot of the cross with the anguish and grief caused by the anguish grief and death agony of Jesus. Look upon that dying man by whose bed you are standing. Remember that he is a member of the mystical body of Jesus. Ask Mary to show you what she would do, what she would have you do, and you will feel yourself assisted in this great act of charity, the act of charity which will render you inexpressibly dear to your mother for you will be imitating her on Calvary, imitating her in the work of love she so loved while on earth to perform for the early Christians. Happy those who are drawn by God's Holy Spirit to imitate Mary in her work of love at the bed of death. Glorious vocation, given yet to few. O oh God, Breathe thy wish into the hearts of those chosen ones on this earth, Mary's own. Inspire them to go forth imbued with her spirit, possessing her heart, to make the chamber of death another Calvary, giving glory unspeakable to thee, O most holy Trinity, who livest and reignest for endless ages in peace unspeakable, blissful, loving, and resplendent who created the souls of all, that they might rest with thee forever and ever. Amen. Chapter 5 For hundreds of years, Catholic devotions have come forth in magnificent procession from the Incarnation as from an inward world of spiritual beauty. There is no sign of their ending. Each new devotion seems to make more devotions possible, they multiply by the very outpouring of them, 
Each devotion becomes the head of a family of devotions. It seizes upon some saint or upon some religious congregation and perpetuates itself and multiplies itself and is a fresh visible adornment to the church. We put before our readers a devotion which, like other devotions, is not new. It is as ancient as the church itself. It is simply in these days receiving a new impetus, probably because such a devotion was never more needed than now. The devotion to the dying is fearfully needed at the present. I say fearfully needed because it is a terrible thing to see souls unnumbered, souls, members of God's holy church, dropping out of time into eternity. And what eternity? To all appearance, a hopeless eternity of woe. We should do what good we can to those around us, instruct, convert, admonish. Yet there are still so many we cannot reach except by prayer. Let us then pray, and let us pray for those who have the greatest need, the dying of today, those for whom tomorrow will be too late. Think seriously of the fearful peril souls all over the world are in at this very moment. Think of the souls for whom Jesus died, who are now on their deathbeds, who might be giving glory to God by making their deaths bear some resemblance to Jesus' death, who might, however bad their lives have been, be brought to repentance at the last, as was the good thief, if Mary's children were praying as she did on Calvary for that dying sinner. Can we think of that horrible forever without God and not make some effort to save souls from that terrible fate? Let us but throw ourselves heart and soul into this work of saving souls. Let us put ourselves on one side. Let us forget our unspeakably worthless selves, our selfish cares and worries. Let us launch out in the calm bark of our dear mother's heart upon the tempestuous ocean of this life, and we shall be peaceful and secure. And let us bring others to this safe place of refuge. Mary has been compared to the Ark of Noah, and it is a happy comparison. We enter that Ark and are safe in the midst of a universal storm which is drowning a whole world of immortal souls and hurling them into eternal destruction. And yet the comparison is not just, in that only a certain number were allowed entrance into the Ark of Noah, whereas there's no limit to the number who may seek safety from the dangers of the temptations which are now spreading more and more thickly all over the world, by appealing to Mary, by taking refuge under the mantle of her maternal protection, by throwing themselves into her arms and uniting their hearts to her dear motherly heart that beats so truly, so constantly, so lovingly. In that heart they will receive strength to live so as to save their own souls, and not alone their own, but the souls also of many others. And in doing this, their lives will shine brightly before God. They will be beautiful in His sight and in the sight of the holy angels. Oh, let us lead noble lives, lives of love for God and men, and we shall endear ourselves to God while we do an undying work of love for our neighbors, and we shall show ourselves to be true children of Mary,
to whom she has revealed the dearest wish of her heart, the salvation of the dying. This has been taken from Devotion for the Dying by Venerable Mother Mary Potter, published by Tan Books. This work is in the public domain.